This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. messy. Open your Bibles, please. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to be hopefully super quick with today's word. Um, That clock says I only have 23 minutes, so let's see what we can do. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 19, and I'm just going to sit in 20 for just a couple seconds at the end. And it's in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible in front of the seat, Uh, Under the seat in front of you, there is a Bible for you. If you do not have a Bible at home, won't you just take that Bible with you? You don't have to steal it. You can just take it as a gift. (laughs) Write your name in it. There's a pen right in front of you also. But we want you to have the Word of God with you. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say, I want to stop for a second. I need us to gather ourselves while we read the word of God. We good? Okay. Let me read again, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I will tell you, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The title of today's sermon is The Eternal Question. And this is not part of a series. We wanted to do two weeks of just standalones. So that we as always just hear what God had for us specifically today. And this past Wednesday, Pastor Justin and uh, Elder Marlon and I went and spent the day listening to a speaker, Jeff Vanderstelt, at a pastor's conference. And we spent seven hours talking about gospel fluency. And while we were sitting there talking about gospel fluency, we realized, like we have on many other occasions, but this has been tearing my heart apart this week is that our churches are filled with people, but not just are they filled with people, they're filled with people who don't know who Jesus is. And even here at One Life, we have people that come when the time allows, who come when we feel like we should be there, who come when things aren't going well in our lives, who come because it's probably time to go back. This is a concern for me as your pastor. If I'm your pastor, right? If you're visiting today and you're not part of this home, please receive what I say with love 
But if it rocks you a little bit, please also understand why that is. And it's the Holy Spirit. This is not a ritual. This is not just a tradition. This is not just what we do on a Sunday with mom or dad. Or because there's things in our lives that we need God to take care of. These might be good excuses to come in. But once you come and you claim that you are a Christian, there has to be a change in your attitude towards the presence of God. And even right now, I know it was awkward that I stopped reading while I was reading, but we're reading the word of God. We shared a couple of weeks ago that what happens when the demons hear the name of Jesus, it says that they shiver. They tremble with fear. Have you noticed that doesn't really happen with us sometimes? That in the presence of God, we're in his house, friends. This is his house. This is a temple of worship and prayer. That when we're here, we don't feel that same reverence. And I want us, I want to lead us back to spaces of reverence. So the eternal question, and we see two major questions that are being asked here. I love portions of scripture like this because they create two responses in people. There's two camps. The first and probably most common is the feeling of, I've heard this before. And why do I need to hear this again, right? If you've been a Christian maybe for a long time or you feel like you have your Christianity down pat, you hear this, right? Especially those last few verses. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. You've heard this before, right? Even if you necessarily didn't grow up in the Protestant setting, in the Catholic setting, you hear it a lot. It's the foundation, the rock of the Catholic faith. And then you have the second camp that says, and there are, you know, these are those who are hearing this for the first time. You may have heard it in passing, but now you're actually listening. But I speak to all of us to hear the words of Jesus here. And let me set the scene. In all of the Gospels, we see that Jesus is traveling from city to city, performing wondrous works and miracles. We see his following increasing day after day, and people are starting to hear his name more and more. However, however, the issue was that people had only heard about Jesus, but many who had heard his name and what he did, they hadn't yet seen him for themselves. Can you try to picture that? Because for us, you might be home not having gone to church for years. But if you just log into Facebook or Instagram, something will come up with the name of Jesus. You'll turn on the TV, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. Somebody's screaming on BET about the word of God, right? It's more accessible today, but what's happening here? Jesus is being made famous, but he's not where he is today in terms of being known among the people, at least by name, right? Because that known is superficial and that known is also very deep. So Jesus is a rock star where he's going right now. People hear his name when he walks into town and they know that Jesus, the teacher, is coming is why we see people like Zacchaeus climbing the tree to see who's coming into town because they hear of these mighty works that he's engaging in. But also remember that at the time of Jesus, his greatest pushback didn't come from people who just didn't believe. It came from the religious people. And again, this exists today. It came from the Sadducees and it came from the Pharisees who were greatly displeased with the work that Jesus was doing. And why? Mostly because he didn't consider their authority 
Or did he ask for their permission to teach? At the time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were seen as religious rulers. They weren't just teachers and pastors and shepherds. They weren't interested in the hearts of people. They were interested in law. They were interested in making sure that you were qualified by a list of things you should do and a list of things you shouldn't do. This is where our faiths start separating. Some of us are here today, and I'm going to say this because I know there are new people in the house, where you feel like, you know what, I don't deserve this thing that Jesus wants to give me, this salvation, his goodness, his grace, and you don't deserve it, but... It's his beauty in his grace that he gives it to us for free, even when we don't deserve it. So as I go through this message quickly, I want you to consider this second question. When Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do you think I am? Consider that question. This text in verse 13 begins with Jesus in the district of Caesarea Philippi which was an area just north of Galilee. Caesarea Philippi was a city that was deep in Greek mythology, and even to this day it has a temple for the god, lowercase g, named Pan. That temple still exists right next to a cave. And this is where Jesus asks these questions to his disciples, all his followers. And let's look into these questions. The first is a general question. In verse 13, he says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? This first question is, who do people say that the son of man is? Son of man, we've heard used by Jesus and about Jesus. You might have heard this terminology before, but let me give you just a little bit of Bible teaching in regards to what this means. Son of man simply means man. Ezekiel was called son of man over 80 times in scriptures. So for when we see that, do we, does it mean something divine? Not necessarily. Son of man simply means a man. A man that comes, a person that comes from a person. It speaks to the humanity in this case of Jesus. In Daniel chapter 7, however, Daniel prophesies on the Son of Man, but also says that he is the exalted heavenly one. And why is this important? It's important to clarify that Jesus was the Son of Man because we, we know Jesus to be also the Son of God. But the beauty about Jesus wasn't just that he was God made flesh, the Word made flesh, but he was also in his flesh and bones, the son of man. I want you to understand the value of this because some of us may look at the life and ministry of Jesus and say, and say, well, Jesus was able to do all of these things because he was God, but he was also the son of man. He was fully in his flesh. He was tempted in the same ways that you and I are tempted in the flesh. Consider the 40 days that he's out in the desert and the devil comes out to tempt him and he tempts him in every way. And what does he use? He uses the word. Simply knowing the word doesn't make you a Christian. The devil knows the word and he knows it way better than we do. His theology is actually really good. Don't forget that God created the devil. 
and that he was cast down into hell. And he uses the word many times against us. If you read just before in this very same chapter, Jesus is warning his disciples about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He invites them to open their minds because their eyes because what they're preaching are fallacies. At some point in Jesus' ministry here on earth, people start taking what Jesus is preaching and use it for their own religious benefits in order to oppress the people. Do we not see that happen today? Maybe not. Am I crazy? Sometimes I listen to preachings and theologies that are wild. Let's just say that. Let's be kind. But this is not the word of God. And this is a concern of ours when we lead a church to make sure that people know that what they are learning, that what they are ingesting in the spirit is something that will always lead them back to this. It's not simply about, hey, God wants you to have money. God wants you to have cars. He wants you to be happy. He longs for you to feel good. No, he doesn't. All of these things come because he loves you. What he longs from you is to love and trust him. So he asks, who do the people say that the son of man is? And in verse 14, it says, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The disciples tell Jesus that people think that he is perhaps the reincarnation of one of these major prophets because what they do know is religion. And the only one that wasn't fairly recent was John the Baptist. Elijah was Old Testament. Jeremiah was hundreds of years before. Each of these prophets did great things for God and especially for this Jewish people. But keep in mind that these prophets, with the exception of John the Baptist, existed again generations before Jesus. So the people think that he is totally someone else or just another prophet. And I sit with people who are of different faiths and different contexts. And they, everyone believes in Jesus, friends. Everyone believes Jesus existed. The problem is they don't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Islam believes that Jesus is a prophet. And in him, their faith carries a ton of weight. Research that. What Jesus means to the Islamic people. But they don't see him the way we see him. Not just as the son of man, but also the son of God. So still today, many people in other religions believe that Jesus existed. But the end or the extent of his importance was just as another messenger or a prophet. But then Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them this question. And I remind you before we read this question that Jesus was a 30 to 33 year old man with 12 best friends. Like that in itself is a miracle. <laughs> right? Because I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm 36 and life, it's hard to find one. Right? Johnny said that. All of you are my friends. 
So, when we, I mean, when I read, and I'm like kind of in my flesh too, when I read this just for, for what God has for me, not even to preach it, I'm always amazed by the fact that he was a man in his 30s who had friends that would do all of this for him, pick up or leave their stuff behind, stand up and just follow him. Wherever you go, I will go. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shine some light on why that think that's, I think that's so important. If I asked you guys today, would you just stand up and walk with me? Don't ask questions. Just walk. You wouldn't do it. You would, you would do it? You, you better watch out. You better watch out, Johnny. So Jesus turns to these friends, his disciples, his students, and asks them this question. Now, this is the pressing question. Verse 15, he says, He said to them, but who do you say that I am? He asked first, who do they say that the Son of Man is? But now I ask you, who do you say that I am? And isn't that powerful that the rabbi would turn to his closest friends and ask them, who do you say that I am? I ask you to consider that today in your hearts. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because that's what's important. Not what we think others think of him. It matters most who we think he is and who you think he is. So Peter replies in verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Would that be something that you would reply to Jesus? Would you know to reply that? This past Wednesday, we had our Bible study. We were, we were in Romans 9 Um, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. And actually, let's go there. It's not in my notes, but I want you to read this because I find that a lot of us complicate our salvation. And it's actually very simple. If I ask you the question today, and I want you to leave with this, but I'm also going to give you the answer. If I ask you today, how do you know you were saved? What would your response be? Romans 10. If I asked you, just consider it for yourself. How do you know that you are saved? You'll notice that right now while you're thinking about your answer, part of that includes actions. Well, I know that I'm saved because I've done this, 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 and this because I'm good because I do what God tells me to do, because God said, go to one life and I'm here, because God, right? Like, like you'll notice that the list includes so many things that we think that we need to do to qualify for the free gift of grace and God's salvation. Well, here's the answer. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. That's it. It's not about your behaviors. Your behaviors are a show that you did this. Your behaviors are the proof that you believe this. But how do you know that you are saved? Look at what Peter says. Peter says what? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Period. Teach your children this. I think I shared a few weeks ago that I... I'm teaching Ava, Ava, baby, how do you know that you are saved? How do you know that you are a Christian? Daddy, because I love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Period. 
the behaviors and the things that we should do and the things that even the law covers are things that we reproduce now as fruit because we have believed this in our hearts. But let me read verse 10 also. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So here are all these religions that have all of these teachings about what we need to do to be in good standing with the God of that religion. And even in the Jewish faith, the Mosaic law, it needs to all be covered before you are good and in right standing with God. But what did we just learn today? All you need to do is verse 9. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. The issue is this. A lot of us, and perhaps even in this room, we have things that block our eyes from believing this. We refuse the ego in us, the unwillingness in us keeps us from believing this. We believe it in theory. Yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. A lot of people believe in Jesus, friends. Are you saved? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead in order to be saved? So Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what of a beautiful response from one of Jesus' closest friends, even though he was a knucklehead, but also one who didn't always get things right. And we know this about Peter, right? He was a knucklehead. He made a lot of mistakes. He was a bit of a brute. A lot of these disciples weren't men of education. They weren't Pharisees and Sadducees themselves. They were regular men that God chose to elevate for the sake of his work. But this time in speaking, with, speaking up for the other disciples, Peter was right. He was right about who Jesus is. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And whenever you see a switch off between Peter and Simon Peter, it's the same person, okay? Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This goes back to what we just talked about in Romans chapter 10, that a lot of us believe in Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus is good. I got him hanging on a cross in my house right above the door. I believe in him. But the believing is not on the outward. The believing has to be on the inside. Jesus says to him, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus tells Simon Peter that his answer is one that is prompted from beyond just the knowing, beyond human flesh and blood. Peter's revelation about Jesus comes from the Father in heaven. God is the one who opens our eyes to the truth of Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, verse 31, it says, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. The key word there is, their eyes were opened, not they opened their eyes. Do we get that? Yes. That means that something outside of them, not just their own flesh and blood, opened their eyes. Instead, something secondary removed the band from their eyes. And I pray for you today that the band would be removed from your eyes. When you truly get 
to be before Jesus face to face and you realize I have never truly received him in my heart. You could have been a Christian for 20 years and realize you have never met Christ. And how do we know that? Because of what we talked about weeks back. How do we know repentance is real? Because it's more than just your tears. It's more than just your emotions. You have changed. Jesus was seated with some of his disciples in Luke chapter 24, and some of them were doubting, right? We know that not everybody who walked with Jesus believed what he was doing. They were walking because they wanted to disprove a lot of them what he was doing. They wanted to make sure that what they were seeing was real. So there were some at this table who doubted. And when he was seated and eating with them, he breaks the bread. That's all he does. In verse 30, he breaks the bread and then he gives it to them. And immediately in verse 31, it says that when he breaks the bread and gives it to them, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And I pray that some of us today would look at this bread that we're eating and that you too would realize who Jesus is and who he is to you. Or even that you would realize, you know what, I'm not sure that I believe. And, and that's fair, friends. We're not here to shame that. We simply want you to realize where you stand. Where do you stand before the Father? Do you truly believe? Are you convinced? And you'll find that in your own life and your own comportment, you don't truly believe that he says who he says he is. Because we would have more reverence if we did. In everything we do, in our lives, not, I'm not just talking about in the church building, I'm talking about our lives. And here are some controversial verses, though. And this is where I'm wrapping up. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is the verse that mostly divides Catholics from Protestants. And I will admit that without revelation, it may be a little hard to understand. I will admit that. The Catholic faith is built with this verse as its cornerstone, especially with its practice of the papacy. Catholics believe that here Peter is named the first pope of the church, the father in Christianity and the church. Well, this is false, friends. Yes, Peter's name means rock or stone in the Aramaic, the original language that was spoken at this time. And yes, Jesus says that on this rock, he shall build his church. But don't forget what Peter says first. Peter says you, in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter was a rock. You, friends, are a rock. But he is the rock of our salvation. And he is the cornerstone. Right at the very beginning, when Jesus speaks to Peter, it's other people who make of this situation something that they long for themselves. We need to be able to see and walk with whoever is walking us towards that cross. And what we believe is in this person instead of in who died on the cross. And that's what happens with our friends of the Catholic faith. And we long that they too would have this open. And this is, a, don't take this, friends, as, a, as me picking on the Catholics. I have, like, I have nothing but love for them. And yet when I read scriptures like these, there's an urgency that stirs inside of me to say, wait, we have misunderstood this. But because of Christ, we have the option and the opportunity to make right of this situation. So it may be true that Peter's name 
means rock. But Peter himself knew that Jesus was the rock of our salvation. And again, the cornerstone of our faith. Let's go back. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. It says this. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And what does this say? The authority remains Jesus's. Peter was a servant of God. Peter was nothing more special, my friends, than you are today. Then it goes on to talking about, in verse 19, Jesus giving Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Right? Well, the kingdom of heaven is also given to you. On this occasion, Peter speaks up for even his friends. We forget that, right? It's Peter confessing Jesus for the first time. But he's speaking on behalf of his friends. The rest of the disciples were there. And I feel like when we created religion, we forgot that it was everyone else in that space. And so when Jesus speaks to Peter and we get to read it, you, my friends, are also in the room. You are the rock on which I will build whose church? Not your church. It's my church. And the keys of heaven, the keys to the kingdom of heaven are given to Peter, but they're also given to you. Can someone tell me why or how we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Who's the key? No one goes to the Father except through me. He confesses for the first time who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to say it again. It's a little repetitive. You are the Christ and the son of the living God. And his response is, here are the keys. Why? Because now Peter has Jesus. And the only way we can get to the kingdom of heaven is through Jesus. We've preached this here before, and I know it was a little tense for some of you. How can I say that, my friends from other faiths, like they don't worship, but you know what? Because the Bible, what we believe in, that was established, it says, no one goes to the Father except through me. It doesn't matter how good your prophet is, how good your religion is structured, how the awesome philanthropic work that your organization does, no one goes to the Father except through me. So once again, we see that religion complicates something that's fairly simple. Peter, you're the rock. You have now been made strong because you have believed and confessed that I am not just the son of man, but the son of God. And so now you have the keys. But lastly, what is the point of having keys if you never open doors? He gives him a key so that we all, in this case, it was Peter, representing us. I give you the keys that you might open the door for others to also receive these keys. And what are we doing with the keys that God has given us? For those of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are we inviting others to receive their own pair of keys, their own set of keys? Peter did this. Peter knew what to do with this call that Jesus had over him. So the eternal question is, it rests on who we believe Jesus is. Who we believe Jesus is will determine who we will be. I'll say that again. Who we believe Jesus is will determine who we will be. 
Would you close your eyes? Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.